Good morning, everyone. Isn't it great to be in God's house together today? With, Don't you sense the presence of the Holy Spirit meeting with us today? Amen. We've gathered in the name of Jesus. We've gathered around the Word of God. We've gathered in the Spirit of God. And we believe that we're in the very presence of the Lord Himself. And that God is speaking to our heart and has a word for all of our hearts today. Today, I encourage you to turn off your cell phone. Don't be distracted by it. Don't be involved in looking at social media or texting. If your phone's not on silent, please silence it. And it because the devil will send you a phone call for certain if you don't. And today, God's got a word for you. A word for you. A good word. An encouraging word. Would you tell your neighbor God's got a word for you today? Amen. He does. And he's got a word for me today. Now, would you open your Bible today and look with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians. And so we're in 1 Thessalonians. This is a part of our reading plan as we're reading through Scripture together. And so look with me to 1 Thessalonians. And we're going to begin today with, with and this is a church that Paul helped establish and found this is one of the early books of Paul, and he's writing this to encourage the believers in Thessalonica, which is in Macedonia, not far from Philippi. And you can read about this in Acts chapter 17, but uh, uh, the founding of that church. But here he's writing a letter to encourage them, and he's encouraging them to live in hope. And you know, we live in a world where there's much discouragement, much loss, much grief, much hardship. And he's writing about living in hope. And notice with me in verse number nine about brotherly love. You don't need me to write to you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you're doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more. To seek, to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business. To mind your own business. To work with your own hands. This sounds like my grandmother writing to me. As we commanded you so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. We do not want you to be uninformed, ignorant, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who've fallen asleep. For we say this to you by a word from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who've fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage 
one another with these words. Amen. We live in a world of trouble. We live in a world of disease, death, divorce, war, terror, loss, and threats. We live in a world of anxiety. In our church, we've experienced great loss. Many of you have lost a loved one, a mate, a grandparent, a child. You've lost health or a marriage. You've experienced God's loss, life's loss, and you've experienced deep grief. And by God's grace, his comfort. Aren't you glad he never leaves us alone? He never ever forsakes us. And he holds us. I was only 22 years old and I was a pastor of a church. That is a frightening thought. For 45 years this year, I've been pastoring. It was Christmas, just a few days before Christmas, 1979. A tragic death occurred in the little church where I was a pastor. There'd be a terrible car train accident, and in this car train accident, this young couple that I'd led to Christ and baptized were part of our church. Two of their three daughters were killed in the car wreck. And on Christmas Eve, in a bitter, snowy Christmas Eve afternoon, I stood at the graveside beside a man named Joe as he watched his six-year-old and eight-year-old's little body lowered into the ground. And I was his pastor. Over the course of months, I spent time talking with Joe. His wife survived eventually and recovered from the accident. And I was visiting one day with another pastor friend, and this pastor friend said to him, I don't know how you've lived your life with such grief. And he said, I have chosen not to live in my grief, but in my hope. He said, I know I shall see them again. That hope sustains us in the most difficult things of life. Amen. Now look with me while Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica and trying to encourage them about living in hope. First of all, he's trying to encourage them, and he says, verse number nine, what an encouraging word he gives them. I, 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 I love this, verse nine and ten. He says, concerning brotherly love, he said, you don't need me to write to you. I don't really have to write to you about this because you guys are taught by God to love one another. And he says, as a matter of fact, you're doing it. 
And he says, the whole area of Macedonia hears about how you love one another. He said, concerning brotherly love, the word that he uses there for brotherly love is the word that we get the word Philadelphia from. And Philadelphia is known as the city of brotherly love. I've visited Philadelphia. I haven't noticed that characteristic all the time. As a matter of fact, the sports crowd in Philadelphia is well known throughout all of the leagues as being a tough crowd. They will readily boo their own players or coaches or one another. I was at a Philadelphia Phillies baseball game one night with my son and daughter-in-law when they lived near Philadelphia. And as I was there that night, it just happened, and this made ESPN, all the stations, multiple times. You can still find it on YouTube. Don't do it now. <laughs> and a fan ran onto the field and was running all over the field, and he was so fast, the security guards couldn't catch him. He was just running circles all around them. And the fans all got involved in this contest and were cheering for the guy who was running until... One of the security guys pulled out a taser gun and shot him, and he fell quaking onto the ground, and they all booed. And it was something to behold. He said, that's not the kind of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania love you have, but you have true brotherly love. Notice what he says in, in, in our text, he says, you don't need me to write to you because you, now notice how he says this, you yourselves. Now that seems like, why does he say you yourselves? Because it's emphatic. He's saying you, you really do. You, he's emphasizing this. You are taught by God himself. And what does it mean? He means that the spirit of Jesus lives in you. And he dwells in you. And he's leading you to live a life. Not just to live it for yourself. But to live it for the Lord. And you're living your life in such a way that you're loving your brothers and sisters. And you know how to love one another. Because God is teaching you how to love one another. And boy, I see that in our church. I see the way that we love and we care for one another. He says, and God has taught you how to do that. Now, how has God taught us how to love? Well, he taught us how to love through sending his son, Jesus, and what Jesus did for all of us. First of all, he loved us first, didn't he? And that's something we learn about, God, about love. He loved us first. He took the initiative in loving us. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Aren't you glad God took the initiative in your love? 1 John chapter 4 verse 19 says, we love because he first loved us. God didn't wait for us to love him. God didn't wait for us to love him and initiate the love, but he took the initiative in loving us. Love is contagious. Love transforms. Love has an infectious quality about it. Love opens your heart to love other people. And when you've experienced the love of God, it has a transforming effect on your life. 
And so God has taught us how to love. We shouldn't wait for others. It is, the first question is not, do they love me so I can love them back? That's not the right way. The first question is not, do they deserve my love? The first question is not, do they love other people? The first question is not, are they good enough and deserving enough of my love? The first question ought to be, is do they need love? Often, the people most annoying, people most off-putting, the people most socially difficult, need love the most. You remember that lawyer that came to Jesus and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, what does the law say? How does it read to you? He said, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer, wishing to justify himself, that's hard to believe, says, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus then tells a story. He said there was a man who was making his way down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves and they stole from him and beat him and left him for dead. And a certain priest walked by and he saw him and he moved away. And then a Levite came along and he saw him, but he moved away to the other side. And then a certain Samaritan. Now, the Samaritans were the outcasts. They called them yard dogs, half-breeds. The Jews couldn't stand Samaritans, and the feeling was mutual. And a certain Samaritan came along the way. And when he saw him, he felt compassion for him. And he went to him, and he bandaged him. He poured oil on his wounds. And he put him on his own beast, and he took him to an inn, and he said to the innkeeper, would you take care of this man? And whatever charge there is, put it to my account. And then Jesus asked the man, who do you think proved to be a neighbor? And the lawyer wouldn't even say the Samaritan's name. He said, I suppose the one that showed mercy. He said, then you go and do the same. You want to know who your neighbor is? It's the person that's hurting. The person that may be annoying. The person that might be off-putting. The person who's trapped in sin. When you love those, when you love the least, then you've done it unto me. Love is the most powerful force in the world. God has given it to us. Amen. And we can love because he first loved us. Amen. Amen. Secondly, he taught us how to love because he laid down his life for us. Aren't you glad? He laid down his life for us. John 10 says in verse 15, I lay down my life for my sheep. Later, he says, this is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life 
so that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own, and I have the right to take it back up again. I receive this command from my Father. Jesus willingly laid down his life for us. Amen. Greater love hath no man than this. Then a man lay down his life for his friends, Jesus said. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, this is how we come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Let me ask you this question. If he took that initiative, if he laid down his life for us, isn't that the kind of church that God wants us to be? Isn't that the kind of people God wants us to be? What if our church was known? What if Bethel Church was known for its great love for God and for people? That's the kind of church I think God wants to see. What if, what if our reputation was that we were a church that loved God passionately and we loved other people genuinely. That's the kind of church. You know what? I don't think the world needs another church filled with judgmental people. Do you? Instead, let's be a church that's not judging people. I don't want to be known as the most doctrinally correct church, the most enthusiastic church, the most entertaining church. The most beautiful facilities, church. The most gifted church. I wish our church was known as, man, those people, they love God and they love people. That's the kind of church that I want to be of. It's so attractive. It's his great love that is radiating through us. And what if, what if, what if the hurting and the injured and the outcast and the discouraged and the confused and the lonely and the broken and the isolated were welcome? And not just welcome here, but they were loved for here and cared for here. And we don't care how messed up they are. We don't care how many piercings they have. We don't care what color their hair is. I don't care what you've been through. If I just decide I'm going to love them where they are and love them with the love of Christ. Listen, when you lead with love, then they'll listen to the truth. We don't abandon the truth, but let's lead with love and lead them to the truth. I don't want our church to be, listen to me, I don't want our church to be a country club for just a certain type of people. I don't want to just be a white, middle-class, Republican, conservative, America first congregation. I want to be a congregation in love with Jesus Christ and loving a broken world. He taught us how to love because he died for sinners. Aren't you glad? Romans chapter 5, verse 8, you know it well. God demonstrated his own love for us and while we were yet what? Sinners, Christ did what? Died for us. Amen. 
He died for us sinners, and I'm chief among them. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 7. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us this way, we also must love one another. Listen, when you're messed up, God loves you. When you feel alienated, God loves you. When you were still in the rebellion of your sin, God loved you. When you were confused and couldn't find your own way, God loved you. When you were estranged and separated, God made a way for you. And when you were far off, he brought you near by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the love of God for us. He loved us. And he has loved us with an everlasting love. And he forgave us all of our sins. All of our sins were satisfied in the atoning death of Jesus Christ. Again, 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. For it says, if God loved us this way, let's love one another. No one's ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us. And his love is made complete in us. And this is how we know that we abide in him, remain in him, and he in us. He's given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior. Amen. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in them, in God. And we have come to know and believe the God, love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love remains, abides in God, and God remains or abides in him. Amen. My friends, listen. God came to wipe away all of your sin, to set you free and to give you a new life. And God has put his love in our hearts. God has loved us big. Amen. Did God love you big? Did God love you big? Were your sins big? Did he love you big? Will you love others big? When you've experienced the overwhelming, wonderful grace and love of God, it liberates you to love other people. Amen. Amen. And that means we forgive others. Anybody ever offend you? Anybody ever hurt you? Do you hold on to it? Do you not let it go? Do you... Hold it hard. I submit to you, something's deeply wrong in your life spiritually. If you're holding on to sin. When you've experienced his love.
you can express his love. Amen? You know, people don't think they need God's grace. They never really give God's grace. And when people think that they have to earn their standing before God, then they always have an exacting attitude toward others. But when you know you made a royal mess of your life, then you can love big because you've been forgiven big. You remember that story in Luke 7? Jesus is in the house of Simon the Pharisee. When he comes into Simon the Pharisee's house, nobody was there to wash Jesus' feet. Nobody anoints his head with oil. But a certain woman with a terrible reputation came into the gathering. And when she did, she stood at Jesus' feet and she opened an alabaster bar, jar of perfume and she broke it. And when she was there, she anointed Jesus with that costly perfume. She wept at his feet and her tears fell from her face and they landed on his dusty feet. And as it puddled on his dusty feet, she took her long hair and she washed our Savior's feet with her hair. And Simon the Pharisee and others said, if he were truly a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman this is that's touching him and he would not allow her to do such a thing. But Jesus knew what Simon was thinking. He told a story about two men that owed a huge wage. One owed a debt of 50 denarii. That's about a, over a month's worth of debt. Another owed over 500 denarii. That's about two years worth of debt. And he said they were both forgiven. He said, which one do you think will be most grateful. And he said, I suppose the one that owed the most. And he said, I'll tell you the truth. I came to your house, Simon, and you never loved me, never greeted me, because you didn't think you need forgiveness. But this woman, who knew she needed it, hasn't ceased to lavish her love on me. And she has given much because she's been forgiven much. I submit to you, whenever we begin to focus on how much Jesus has forgiven us, it releases us from holding on to grudges and to start loving people. Amen? He said, you know what? You're loving each other well, and your reputation is spreading through all Macedonia. Because you have been taught by God how to love. Woo! That a preach right there. Amen? Now, how do we live in hope? He says, you know, this love plays its out in practical life. I love this. Notice he says, so he says, love more and more and more. And then verse 11, and seek to lead a quiet life. Mind your own business, work with your own hands, as we commanded you, so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. Well, this is a pretty practical way to live a loving life. Number one, he says, lead a quiet life, is what he's saying. Actually, in the Greek text, it says more, it says, seek or strive 
or work hard, it sounds, it sounds funny the way he says it, work hard at being quiet. <laughs> By being quiet, he means to be still. Don't live frantically in this life. Don't run around with your hair on fire about everything. Are you all taking notes on this today? Some of you, we get so caught up in the drama all the time. Drama, drama, drama. Our hair's on fire all the time. About stuff. It, it, it's what my grandmother calls, it's a tempest in a teacup. It didn't matter to a hill of beans. 30 days from now, how important is this issue that your hair's on fire about? And I, I know it. I get it. You know what? You're so glued. You, you're watching CNN, and then you're watching MSNBC, and then you're watching Fox News, and then you're just watching. You're just, oh, and then you're looking at social media, and you're, before long, you're, your hair's on fire. World's coming to an end. No, it's not. Not till he decides it is. Do you think God is ever sitting on the throne, wringing his hands, saying, what in the world are we going to do now? No. No. He doesn't worry. Does God love us? Is he in charge? Is he with us? Is he working in this world? Can you trust him? Yeah. Secondly, not only be still, trust God. Mind your own business. What Paul's saying here is, busy yourself with your own life. Don't poke your nose into everybody else's life trying to control them or fix them. That will drive you nuts. Work on your own stuff. Work on putting your own house in order. Don't go around trying to order everybody else's houses. Order your own. Thirdly, work with your own hands. Labor is a good thing. Work hard. Work with your own hands. Go to work. Be productive. Provide for your family. Don't be idle. Don't be lazy. And then said, and provide. Take care of your own family. And verse number 12, don't be dependent on anyone. Don't be lazy. Be a good witness. He says, when people look at you, May the way you live in your life, by being still, trusting God, taking care of your own business, working hard with your hands, providing for your family, when people see this, they're not put off by the way you live, but they're attracted by the way you're living. And so when people look at our life, Is that the kind of Christian life? 
Is that the kind of life that they want? The kind of life that we're demonstrating. Hmm. And finally, what do you believe? What is it that you believe? Now, we're going to have to hurry, so let's look here. And he says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, and this is how we live in hope, concerning those who are asleep. Now, some were being concerned because they were thinking that Jesus was coming again, the second coming, and now some are falling asleep, some are dying. And, and I love it that he uses the term asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. Now, he said, yes, we do grieve. We grieve loss. We do. We've lo we lose. When we lose someone, when somebody dies, then we feel the loss, the loss that they're not present with us, that I can't just have conversations. I had plans with them, and those plans that I thought I had are now interrupted, the loss of a dream that I might have had. And so we feel this grief. But our grief is to be a grief with hope because we trust in God. And he says, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Now, by the way, you know, if, I'm, if, if somebody falls asleep and they're in my presence, which when you're a preacher, that happens often. then my first response is not call 911. Oh, no, they've fallen asleep. No, they'll wake back up. Yeah. Death for a believer is a beautiful thing. It's a gateway, a portal into the very presence of God. Amen? Amen. Notice what we believe. We believe that Jesus died. Notice what he says in this passage of Scripture. If we believe Jesus died and rose again in the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. You know what he's saying to us? He said, Jesus, this is what we believe. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. Not only that, we believe that those who die are in the presence of the Lord. How many of y'all believe that? And we believe that Jesus Christ is coming again. And when he comes again, he'll bring with those, with him, those who've fallen asleep in Jesus. First of all, he, has, he says, I have this by a word of authority and by the revelation of God. Notice what he says in verse 15. For this we say to you by a word from the Lord. This is not just a hunch. It is a word from God. We say to you this by the authority of God in his word. Amen. In 1 Thessalonians chapter number 15, beginning with verse 15, listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we'll all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must put on, be clothed with incorruptibility. And this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. And when this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, 
and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, wow. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? He has taken the stinger out of death. Christ has defeated it. And he is the first fruits. And he has been raised. And we shall be raised. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most hopeful event in human history. Christ rose again and has defeated death. Secondly, Christ is returning again. Christ is coming. In James, it says in chapter 2, verse 26, for just as the body without the spirit is dead. That's true. The body without the spirit is dead. The body is dead. In 2 Corinthians 5, 8, it says when we're away from the body, we'll be at home with the Lord. But the Lord is coming again. How many of y'all believe that? This is the second Advent we're talking about. We're getting ready to come into what we call the Advent season toward Christmas time as we're thinking about and anticipating the coming of Jesus Christ. As we think about Advent, we're thinking about his coming at his incarnation and born of the Virgin Mary and the promise that came true in the coming of the Messiah into the world. As we gather in worship, we believe that Christ gathers and meets with us as we gather together. And he comes to us and meets with us, yes. But at the end of the ages, we believe that Jesus Christ is coming again. In great power in that second advent that we look forward to. And it, when he comes, it will be evil will be defeated. And those held in tyranny will be released and wickedness will be crushed and death will be destroyed and love and life and hope will reign forever as Jesus rules and reigns. Isn't that what? That's glorious. One of the songs, that hymns that we sing at Christmas time carries with it not only the theme about the first coming, but but. Also, the second coming. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Now listen to the words of it. O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell, thy people save and give them victory o'er the grave. O come, desire of nations, bind in one the hearts of all mankind bid our sad divisions cease and be thyself our king of peace. Rejoice! Rejoice! Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Amen. Our King Jesus is coming again. Amen. Amen. But what about the dead? What about the dead who've gone on before us? Well, listen to what Paul says about that. Look with me in 1 Thessalonians. In verse number 16, notice what he says. 
For the Lord himself, there it is emphatically, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Now I love this. Notice the movement. Notice, listen to the sounds. The Lord will descend from heaven with a shout. Every eye will see him. And there will be a shout, a loud shout. And the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. I don't know, man. That trumpet sound is going to be something. And the dead will rise first. They're in not second position. They seem to be in first position. The dead will rise first. Wow. And we who are still alive, what? We will be changed. Our mortal body will now become an immortal body. Now, that, imagine that, what that would be like. So I don't know. I, I can't figure out. I don't know which way I want it to be. I don't know whether I want to be dead bones that come out of the grave or one on the earth that gets changed all of a sudden. I think it's been glorious either way, don't you? And so just imagine. Let's imagine I'm still living. And you are too. It's so awesome. Well, some of us, I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> if he doesn't come soon, we'll all be in the grave. But here's, can I imagine? All of a sudden, the trumpet, the Lord appears, and all of a sudden, dead people are rising from the grave, and, and, and their bodies, and the Lord is descending, and those that have all gone before, the spirit of those who are before, are coming with him, and the trumpet of God sounds, and all of a sudden, in a moment, in a twinkling, and a, and a bang! In a just a split second, all of a sudden, this mortal body is changed. All of a sudden, my glasses just fall off. I don't need them anymore. And those cataracts, those little lenses they put in there, they just trickle and they fall down. And your artificial knees and joints, they're just leftover metal on the ground. And all of a sudden, your whole body got changed. And it's not fat or out of shape or anything. It's amazing. And all of a sudden, we together with the dead that are raised from the dead, we'll be caught up together with the Lord. <laughs> Won't that be awesome? And we'll be raptured up together with the Lord, with them. The spirits of those who came with Jesus, reunited with new bodies and we're changed, and we're all up in the air to meet the Lord in the air. In chapter number 1, verse number 10, we are waiting for his son from heaven, whom was raised from the dead. Amen. Notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verses 9 to 11. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but attain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another. Build each other up as you're already doing. Isn't that the most encouraging thing? And finally, there's reunion. Forever we'll be with the Lord. Always be with the Lord. Never any separation, never sickness, never death, never cemeteries, never funerals, never hospitals, ever again. Awesome. 
And when he appears, oh, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. It's going to be glorious. Hallelujah. Doesn't that encourage your heart? Yeah, I was in chapel the other day and at the school. We were going to take some pictures and Jay was doing a little devotional and it was, it was encouraging. Jay also led the singing that day and, and we we're trying to figure out the timing on those songs, weren't we, Jay? It was a little difficult. But he got the kids to singing. I, I kind of love this. He got the kids in the school singing, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. You know that song too, don't you? Some glad when this life is to a home on God's I'll fly away. Another verse of that. Just a few more. We I fly away. To a land where joy shall never end, I fly away. How many of y'all believe that? In the small church where I grew up, that I dearly love, we had a group of women that sang in that little church. Had a piano player that just tore up the keyboard in a gospel fashion. And they loved to sing gospel songs. And they weren't the deepest, most deep theological songs, but they were heartwarming songs. And one of the songs that they sang, Oh, there's going to be a meeting in the air. In that sweet, sweet by and by. And I'm going to meet to meet you over there in that home beyond the sky. Such music you will hear, never heard by mortal's ear. Twill be glorious, I do declare, when God's own son will be the leading one in that meeting in the air. And then they do a key change and just keep doing the key changes up and up and up. You know what? That's God has planned for us. So let's love. Let's lead a life that others want to know. And let's live in hope because our King Jesus is coming again. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. It's powerful, it's true. It's life-giving. It's liberating. It's true. I pray that, Father, today, that these truths will settle deep within our hearts. Lord, if there's one person here that's never 
trusted Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray that today they would come back to you, repent of sin, and put their faith in Christ and experience the hope of new birth, new life, and everlasting hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me. Let's sing together.